We'll be discussing Mark chapter 14, or a portion of Mark 14 this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we certainly are grateful for Christ, living as well as written, as recorded in your word. As we consider a part of Mark 14 this morning, we want to be not only hearers, but also doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Eric Liddell was, is known for his 1924 Olympics when he ran the 400 meter and took a gold, but he refused to run the 100 meter because that Olympic race was run on Sunday. And he said, I will not run on Sunday. But he ran the 400 meter, took a gold medal for Scotland. He lived from 1902 to 1945. He was born in China, missionary parents. When he was in Oxford, there was an Oxford group that had four things that they were committed to. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. When he visited the U.S., he wrote, after being here, over the entrance to the University of Pennsylvania, there is written this, in the dust of defeat as well as in the laurel of victory, there is glory to be found if one has done his best. There are many here who have done their best, but have not succeeded in gaining the laurel of victory. To these, there is as much honor due as those who have received the laurel of victory. And that is recalling his run. One year after the Olympics, he left for China. He poured out his life in ministry to people in China for many years. He died in 1945 while in a camp during the time when Japan Japan had invaded China. He had an inoperable brain tumor. The sum over a year while he was in the camp, he was one who would reach out and minister to people and reach out to children, to some hundred three or some three hundred children that were present. And some things that I would like to quote from him. Have you learned to hear God's voice saying, This is the way, walk ye in it? Have you learned to obey? Do you realize the tremendous issues that may be at stake? Another time he wrote, If I know something to be true, am I prepared to follow it even though it is contrary to what I want? Why follow it if it means being laughed at by a friend or foe, if it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? Why did Eric refuse to run the 100 meter, the one that he was trained to run? Because of his convictions that he had concerning Christ. Why did he sacrifice running, a career in running, to go to China? As you read about his life, he knew his identity that he had in Christ, and he knew Christ. And who Christ was in his identity, his character, and his being. 
And we find the same is taking place in Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11. As Christ reveals himself, a choice is made either to follow him or to seek to kill him. And the identity of Christ comes out very clearly in Mark. In Mark, we find that Christ is unique. He's the son of God. He's sensitive to God's spirit. And he's able to resist Satan. So let's read together Mark 14, 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Made a pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them at any time. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she had done or has done will be told in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. As we looked at this passage last weekend, again this morning, we find that a sandwich is taking place in the sense that in verses 1 and 2, we have the teachers, the religious leaders, are looking for a way to kill Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is unique. He's the Lamb of God. At the end of the passage in verses 10 and 11, we find that Judas is out to... Betray Jesus, willing to hand him over. And between verses 1 and 2 and 10 and 11, we find the account of the unnamed woman, where she pours out expensive perfume in worship of Christ, preparing for his death. Again, the identity, the being, the character of Jesus to this point in Mark's gospel has been clearly communicated. The chief priests and teachers of the law seek to arrest and kill Christ. Judas is willing to hand him over, but the woman pours out expensive perfume. The religious leaders and Judas were not willing to accept Jesus as the Son of God, deity, Lamb of God, so what did they do? Betray him, want to kill him. The unnamed woman apparently at least grasped in some way Jesus' identity as being in his character, and she worships him. Now notice that she has poured out expensive perfume worth 
perhaps a year's wages. You translate that in today's economy, it depends on how much you make, but forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of perfume being poured out. And by the way, if you check the internet, perfume goes sometimes for twelve to fifteen thousand dollars an ounce if you look for the right perfume. So we're dealing with something in that day that she wanted to worship. So she pours the perfume. And what is the response of the people? Look at verses 4 and 5. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. What do they do then? They rebuke her. Now, some of those rebuking her may have been among the 12. Some of those present. We know the 12 were present. Apparently, they were slow to grasp the identity, the character, the being of Christ. And the idea of indignant means to be pained, to be angry, to be vexed. Some of us sometimes get indignant when we talk about the government or political leaders or maybe some political candidates. You know, we're just pained and we're vexed and it comes out and the way we may respond. So we have some people that are indignantly saying to one another, why this waste of perfume? Was it a waste to take a perfume worth a year's wages, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and pour it on Christ? They thought so. Is it wasteful to use perfume on the Son of God? See, some people said about Eric Liddell, why the waste of your life? To go to China. Some people thought about my brother Bob when he had a degree in civil engineering and he chose to devote his life to poor people in Guatemala. Why the waste of that education for, for poor people in Guatemala? Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. See, that was human opinion. Some of those present, their opinion was, why the waste? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Even the religious community at that point in time had a problem with a costly sacrifice for Christ. Don't. Made it too costly. So they rebuked her. The text clearly says they rebuked her harshly. No, agitated. Thus you express it very strong. Don't you know any better? Why'd you do that? Could have been sold for a year's wages. And the text clearly says... They rebuked her harshly. 
I don't know if you've ever run into a boss who just doesn't have very much grace and comes down hard on you. Or a parent sometime may rebuke a child harshly. That's what is happening in this context. They didn't grasp Christ. They didn't grasp that he was worth worshiping. So the harsh rebuke. It's not surprising that there is people here that are Scandalized by the wasteful act in light of the need of the pure. Why devote $50,000 for a few moments for Jesus when it could help hundreds of poor people? Why this extravagance in worship? We cannot know whether the indignation was due to genuine concern for the poor or whether it was just a pretext for their motives of money. Whatever their motive, they regarded the cost of devotion of the woman as a waste. Their condemnation obviously demonstrates the woman and her gift or demeans the woman and her gift. There could have been a better use of the money. However, in demeaning the woman, they're demeaning Jesus, whom they regarded as unworthy of such extravagance. The world has never had a problem with religion, if you want to use that term, in moderation. But it has no problem with too much wealth or power or sex. But it has a problem with too much Christ. And that's evident here. Apparently, people who followed Christ had a problem with this extravagance for Christ. Thus, the rebuke. Now, how does Jesus respond? Leave her alone. She's been harshly rebuked, she's one among many. And Jesus says, Leave her alone. This is a divine perspective concerning the worship that has been done. Concerning the expensive perfume that has been offered. Jesus didn't enter into a debate with the disciples and the others at present about the virtues of charitable giving. Rather, he defends the person whom they put down the disciples or others present were judging by appearance Jesus judged by motive by their standards she had done a wasteful thing by his she had done a beautiful thing she did what she could in nearly the same words Jesus said about the woman who threw the two small coins into the treasury she did what she could. There's a vast difference between Jesus' perspective and that of how the woman responded. 
faith and discipleship are not ideal realms, what we might like to be or to do. Oh, if only I had this, I would give it to Jesus. If only I had that, I would give it to Jesus. If only I had this ability, I would give it to Jesus. No, faith and discipleship are absolute realities. Who we are or what we are able to give. The woman had perfume. She chose to give it. The woman who threw in the two coins, what did she have? Two coins. She gave it. In Jesus' sight, an act has value according to its motive and intent. And that, not its material as value, is what makes it serviceable. Now notice what else he says. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you always have with you. You can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. Jesus is not being indifferent to the poor. The Old Testament is full of admonitions for the Jews to consider the poor because Israel came out of slavery. Jesus taught and practiced ministry to the poor. The essential issue in verse 7 here is not the poor, however, but the woman in their midst. And not even the highest social good can be used to justify the injury done to her. What does Jesus do? Jesus puts himself above the poor. You can always give to the poor, but you can't always give to me. See, in a short time, Jesus was going to be crucified, buried, and then ascend, or uh, rise from the dead and then ascend to heaven. They said what this woman done or had done, was a waste. Jesus says, no, I'm here. I'm worth forty, fifty, or $60,000 to be poured out in devotion. See, they demean Jesus if they demean the woman because the woman was worshiping Christ. The value of the gift signals the value of the person to whom it is given. The extravagance of the woman shows that she alone understands Jesus' immeasurable worth. So Eric, who was expected to have a career in running, Poured out his life for people in China. What a waste. He was willing to do that because he had a passion for God's glory and for Christ. This woman grasped that. The disciples had been forewarned of Jesus' impending death. But no One commemorated his death 
And no mention of anything concerning his death has come from them to this point. What they failed to do and perhaps even to understand, and an unnamed woman understands and does, anticipating the death of Christ, murdered with transgressors, transgressors, what does she do? She pours out perfume. And Jesus concludes. She's prepared my body for burial. Then he says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What exactly has she done that is so good? The gospel, she ties the gospel to Christ's death. Jesus says, she is prepared for my burial. And then he says, I tell you, whatever, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of me. She worshipped in a costly way. She grasped in some way the identity, the being, the character of Christ. And then in verses 10 and 11, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportune time. Again, an interesting passage. The chief priest, the teachers of the law, are looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus. Then we find a woman pouring out costly perfume. And then we have Judas being willing to betray Christ. Verses 1 and 2, the chief priest, teachers of the law. Verses 10 and 11, Judas, amplify, bring out the point of the passage that Jesus is worthy of costly worship. I think the point of the passage is that the one who is worth anointing with expensive perfume is hated by religious people, even one of the twelve. Thus the Roman believers should not be surprised at their persecution. Chief priests, teachers of the law, let's kill Jesus. Judas, let's betray him. Woman in between those two bookends was willing to pour out costly perfume. So assuming Mark was written to the Roman believers who were going through persecution, Mark is saying, Jesus was persecuted. Expect it. It's life. But continue to pour out your life. Be willing to die for Christ because of who he is. The woman sacrificed a year's worth of wages. You're going to sacrifice your life as Roman believers. But be willing to do it. The sacrifice of your life will be a wonderful perfume to the Lord.
See, Mark's, Mark writes with a reason to encourage people who are being persecuted. That's not abnormal. But in the midst of it, still worship Christ. Let's think about a couple applications. Stop and think about the fact that religious people may be some of the greatest enemies of those who follow Christ. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, they're looking for a way to arrest and kill Jesus. Judas, a follower of Christ, one of the twelve, is willing to betray. So don't be surprised that religious people may persecute true believers. That has happened often down through the pages of history. Another application, Christ suffered. The twelve suffered later. The Roman believers suffered. Should we be surprised if we suffer? That's in the context, you know. Suffering. Perfume poured out. And then betrayal. So don't be surprised if we go through difficulty for our faith just because we're obedient to God. Another application, and I'm posing a question, not looking for an answer, one you can think about. Many professing believers suffer little for Christ. Why? I'm not trying to answer it, but I want to stimulate your thinking. Is it because we have religious freedom in America? Is it because we're silent at work or school or with our neighbor? Is it because we do not live, our, live out our faith in daily life? Is it because we bow to cultural pressure? Is it because we separate life into sacred and secular and don't live out? And I'm not out to answer that question. And I'm not saying any one of these is true, but just to think about that in our culture we may not suffer a lot, and there may be reasons. But again, just to ask ourselves, are we willing to suffer? I am not a prophet in the sense of an Old Testament prophet. But if the Lord tarries, I think we can expect some more difficulty for our faith in years to come. Are we willing to suffer? Another application. Jesus spent time in homes. Should we open our homes to unbelievers and be in the homes of unbelievers? <clears throat> Jesus ministered in homes. I find it interesting as you drive around the country. Now we put fences around things. We have small front porches and big back porches. We go in our house at nights and lock the door and we don't want to go out. When I was a kid, we had a big front porch that was open and no back porch that was open. We often sat in the front porch and we often had people walk by and we would talk. 
coming from this passage, the very fact that Christ was in the home of Simon the leper, are we willing to open our homes to our neighbors, to a coworker, to that person going through a difficulty with an intent just to care for them in light of where they may be in life? Jesus delights in expensive, total giving to him. He seems to take pleasure in that. So what would happen if someone brought, I'm going to be extravagant now, $100,000 of perfume next week? And they didn't say much about it, brought it to the front. And before we had communion, just poured it out on top of the trays. And before they poured it out, they said, just for sake of knowledge, this is worth $100,000. Put yourself back where Jesus was. He has lived a normal life. He had been a carpenter for many years. He grew up in a town. People knew him. He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be the Lamb of God. He claims to be deity. And here are the religious people saying, no. Why this waste? Let's be willing to waste our life, if you want to use that term, by helping the elderly. By turning off the TV and visiting an elderly person at a nursing home. Or driving around your community and saying, I haven't been to see this person. I don't even know who lives there. I'm going to stop in and introduce myself to this neighbor. I'm going to invite a couple of widows over to our home just to share with them. I'm going to make corporate worship a priority and I'm going to push other things to the background. Ron and Rose are going through a hard time. Ron's about to enter eternity. I'm going to lay aside what I plan to do tonight and I'm just going to stop up at hospice to visit. I noticed that Rick didn't look real happy this morning. I'm going to give him a call and say, Rick, what's going on in your life? Just be willing to give in costly ways. I heard that Josephine, and this is true, by the way, has stage four cancer. I think I'll give her a call. Say, let's go out to eat. Just say, how can I pray for you? How can I care for you? Many times when I'm talking to someone, I'm tempted to pull out my phone and look at it. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give my full attention to the person that I'm talking to. No, costly. Being willing to care 
for others. I'm going to listen to the teacher who's having a hard time at school because they are not allowed to respond to their children in terms of discipline like they may have been able to do 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 years ago. Just pouring out costly. I go to work every morning. I'm pounding nails. I'm caring for patients. I'm teaching students. Whatever their response, I'm going to continue to love them and care for them. That's pouring out in a costly way. He's talking about, and we're talking about day by day living. The woman took what she had and she gave. We take what we have in our jobs and our homes and we give in costly ways for God's glory. D.A. Carson said, I would like to buy about $3 worth of the gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much of the gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those different from me especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambition redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of the gospel. End of quote. Beloved, Let's do beautiful things for Jesus with what we have and who we are in our day-by-day living on the job, at home, while you shop for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for what has taken place here in Mark 14. Costly giving. And when we think about costly giving, Father, we don't want to think merely of money, but we want to think about ourselves, the gifts, the abilities, the personalities, the character that we are, the resources that we have, and think about how we can give them in costly ways. That's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.